0: Welcome back to Why This Film, the podcast where we reach back into your childhood, pluck out a movie, give it a rewatch, and have a chat about it. I'm Emily Slade, and welcome back. You watched it so many times before, and now you're gonna watch it again. But it's been so many years since you last saw it, and now you show it to your friends, and they're like, what? What am I watching? Why? The- what? Is what? This? Why? why Why this film and i'm joined today by jason figgis film director hello
1: hello there emily lovely to talk to you again
0: thank you so much for coming on i'm so excited your chosen movie is 1970s the railway children the imdb breakdown after the enforced absence of their father three children move with their mother to Yorkshire where during their adventures they attempt to discover the reason for his disappearance. So why this film?
1: Well I mean it's funny because when you asked me about the film that I was going to choose um, I, I noticed that you were very enthusiastic about the railway children and that was my first choice so I thought obviously I've hit on the right one here because it'd be something that we could obviously talk about properly. And um, mm-hmm. so it was my first instinct and I thought, well, I'm not going to waver from that. But the reason is, there's a few reasons. One, Jenny Egader was in a movie with my older brother, Danny, uh, called A War of Children. Um, oh. And they, they remained friends throughout their lives. So there's still, whenever Danny goes to London and, and Jenny's about, they meet up and they have a have lunch and they hang out and they have a great time. So I, I be, from a very early age, I was very aware of Jenny Egader. And I, and I mm-hmm. thought, so I started looking at all the films. She had made. And then, of course, two films made very close together where Walkabout, the classic Nick Rogue film Walkabout. And then just after that, she went to Freezing Cold Yorkshire to make this amazing film called The Railway Children, of course, based Mm on Edith Nesbitt's uh, classic novel.
0: Yeah, it's so interesting that there's been so many adaptations of this book, obviously, because it's very early Victorian era. But it's, it's so timeless, this version. It came out in 1970, and yet I bung it in with my sort of 1990s literary remakes, like The Secret Garden and The Little Princess that they did in the 90s, and I'm like, and The Railway Children, even though it came out like 30-odd years before that, because it's it's always on TV. It's very little women, and it's sort of like... It feels Christmassy and family and it's just charming in its episodic nature the way it trundles along with this sort of linked um plot line of like the family being broken and then coming back together and then on top of that you've got these just sort of weird little interactions with people and things that happen and some of them are just iconic pieces of cinema um I mean it it was interesting watching it this time round. We spend a lot of time in London. I forget how long we spend at the very beginning in their London townhouse before they have to move out to Yorkshire. Um,
1: yeah, actually, it's <laughs> funny because what really I think brings you into the film is that opening sequence in, uh, mm. which was filmed at a, at a house in Hampstead uh, in in 1970 because uh, early 70 because it was released in December just in time for Christmas in 1970 but that sequence and particularly when it's Bobby's birthday and the camera mm-hmm. movement of her walking around and everyone giving her hugs and kisses and giving her presents and just this really calm beautiful opening to the film that that mm-hmm. kind of it it kind of you know wraps you in a woolen blanket you know from from the outset and then of yeah. course rapidly becomes quite disturbing and the fact that the father is hauled away Uh, spoilers everyone the father is (laughs) hauled hauled away and then of course the maid is a really nasty piece of work you know so again uh, what I love about it is that especially during the 1970s they didn't talk down to children when they when they did adaptations of things they actually showed the cruelties of the world as well and but Mm -hmm. but how you know, happily with films like that, ultimately, you know, they they turned out with with a kind of palatable or happy ending. You know that you yeah. can get to grips with. But it's true there is quite a bit of scene setting and story setting uh, with it being set in uh, in London at the beginning. And and you're so right in saying that you do forget that when you look back on the film because what you're thinking about is all of the amazing adventures that they have when they go to freezing cold uh, Yorkshire. <laughs>
0: yeah and i love that sort of um traditional there were sort of two types of mothers back then they were either dead um or they were like you're mrs darling and she's a very mrs darling mother where she like oh yeah. mother never called on boring ladies she always spent time with us and i'm just so glad it's so nice to come into a story where the family unit is genuine and they do care for each other and there's no like evil orphan problems like the problems just come from the almost mundane like it really is such a simple series of events that could genuinely happen to anyone and I think that's where its heart lies in how sort of I mean I'm not really sure I didn't look into it I wonder if it's somehow semi-autobiographical or, or based on you know a friend that the author knew or something because it just feels like something that would have happened to a person perhaps not that their dad was whisked away as spoilers a, a potential russian spy or whatever it, he is yeah um but moving to the country and having these adventures in the way that they do um they're also loving and sincere yeah um and it's just charming
1: I love the fact as well that Sally Thompson was twenty at the time, but she was playing the eleven-year-old sister, and when they when she signed her contract, uh, the express uh, word from above was. You do not drive your sports car to set. You do not smoke. <laughs> you do not drink. You do not do interviews because uh, it's going to the plot. You know it'll be out of the bag that you're actually three years older than Jennifer playing your older sister yeah. Bobby. Yeah. So I always thought that was very funny. You know that it's uh,
0: such a funny little tidbit. Um, yeah,
1: and a classic. Like, I think it's one that man. anyone who knows anything about the film they always go, "Oh, Sally Thompson, she was older than Jenny, and she was yeah, only she playing an eleven-year-old." <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's so fun. Um, so yeah, so we've got Jenny Agutter as Bobby, the eldest, yep. and then her as Phyllis, the second eldest, and then we've got um, Gary
1: Warren playing the uh, the brother,
0: playing the, the the tiny little brother.
1: Yeah, was stealing brother, the cold to keep them. To keep them yes. warm of a night in a, in a cold Yorkshire. I know I keep saying cold. I don't know why I keep saying cold in Yorkshire. <laughs> it I, looks
0: cold. It looks it cold looks in this cold.
1: film. I mean, I've been there many times, and, and I've only <laughs> ever experienced really... beautiful weather in Yorkshire. Right. And I've been <laughs> yeah. to those areas because I'm such a fan of the film that in the mm-hmm. late 90s, I, I was holidaying on my lonesome or my ownsome uh, in <laughs> Yorkshire, and I decided to, you know, look at all the places. So, of course, you have Oakwood Station, um, which was the station used uh for um for Bernard Cribbins' perks. So that was, mm-hmm. of course, all the action was set around uh, the railway that went through there. They used the Worth, uh, the Keithley and Worth Valley Railway, of course, for mm-hmm. for the trains. And when I went there in '99, the trains were still up. Op- well, they still are now operating, but it felt like mm-hmm. you were stepping onto the set because the trains mm-hmm. look exactly the same because of the old Victorian steam trains. But then, only one village up the line, you have Oxenhope, and which is where they filmed at uh, Three Chimneys. And I actually went to the house, and the woman saw me come up, you know, toward the house, and she goes, "I bet you're wondering is this Three Chimneys?" And I said, "Yes." And she goes, "It is." And I actually became emotional. I came emotional oh. that oh my god, I'm actually at Three Chimneys. This is incredible. Yeah. But um, some people might think it a little sad, but I, I, no, I, I, I was I think thrilled. That-
0: highlights the movie, doesn't it? It really gets under your skin. As I say, like, it's not one I ever had on video or DVD. It's not one... I never (laughs) read the book. It was just... I was born with the railway children in my soul. Do you know what I mean? And all I have to do is conjure up specific images from this movie without any context, and I will cry. Like, you will hear me tear up Mm -hmm. just talking about moments from this film because it manages to be so emotional without really ever trying the mm. simplest of things.
1: Well, let's leave the most tear-inducing moment till the end of our conversation. Oh,
0: yeah, we'll so, ramp up. so but, we like, can... even before <laughs> then, like, yeah. I'm choking up over the silliest of things. Um, so one of my first notes is that I love her frilly red dressing gown thing. Jenny Agutter has this, like, <laughs> huge, absurd, frilly bright red night gown and it's great i right. want it <laughs>
1: very cozy for those cold northern winters
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly so they've they've moved they've their whole life has been upended and, and they've had to play at being poor people even though they still have help yeah and a roof over their head it's, yeah. it's lovely. Um, Although they don't really have
1: help, do they? I mean, when they go to Yorkshire, sure, uh, the woman comes in and she, she, um, I've forgotten her name, hence I'm calling her the woman. Um, (laughs) She comes in and she, you know, leaves them an apple pie and she does this and that. But it almost feels as though that that help is kind of like, look, we know what you were used to in London. And we're we're lovely (laughs) folk here in Yorkshire. And we're going to help you out, even though we know you don't have two brass farthings to rub together. So yeah. and of course the house they went to was an absolute pit when they arrived. Yeah, that's true. As as the man who brought them on the uh, on the trap <laughs> kept saying, "The rats, rats. <laughs> the rats, the rats, <laughs> what rats? Oh my god!" And of course there were rats and, and rain and all sorts. But they got it ship-shape and Bristol fashion yeah. very very quickly and became a
0: very quick turnaround of making it entirely cozy and livable despite having no money.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: and so they they run down to the the train line a lot, and they they meet um, Bernard Cribbins. Correct. And
1: well, speaking of the train me. line, you do know that uh, when the film was released as a um, a fully restored high definition version, I think it might have been the BFI that did it, and there were complaints in that the children were running on the railway tracks, and of <laughs> course. They had to counter this by saying, well, during the Edwardian period, there were a lot less trains and there were a lot less safety measures about. So we're just being realistic to the storyline. And they said, you will note that the main time they're on the railway line is when they're warning about an impending disaster and Bobby whips off her bloomers and uh, makes a flag out of them, you know. So uh, typically people were getting very PC. Oh, it's terrible showing a film, you know, with this look, these children <laughs> on a train line. Bad. It's awful.
0: But, also, um... My children will start doing that. It's like... Can... <laughs> no, they won't. Like...
1: Irresponsible filmmaking. Terrible.
0: So stupid. Anyway,
1: I interrupted you. You were talking about Perks.
0: No, yeah, and he's wonderful. He brings a real wit Um Not even wit, like, sometimes it's wit with his sort of side comments, and sometimes it's straight-up, like, slapstick. Oh, yeah. Like, just handling a hamper, and the music's like... But it it works so well in with the overall narrative. And then when he gets his sort of, like, um, not aggressive, but his, like... Angry little bits, like you oh, take yeah. him more seriously. Because well, especially he's when it came to silly. his birthday,
1: and he felt it was charity, yeah. and they, and all they did was they cared about him, and they wanted him to mm-hmm. have a special birthday. But it kind of really it turned on 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 their heads, and the Waterbury mm-hmm. children, and it was like. Uh, Okay, we just wanted to be nice. We didn't mean to offend. But the funny little anecdote about that was Lionel Jeffries, of course, who directed and adapted the book, directed the film. um, It was his directorial debut, in fact, um, in his 50s, I think he was at the time when he did it. He originally had had decided on himself to play Perks. Yeah, but then he was so moved by Bernard Cribbins' audition um, or reading of the part, and he thought, you know what? Bernard Cribbins will will give it the light touch it needs to be the comedy yes. believable and the drama to be believable. Whereas Lionel Jeffries felt that he was a little too kind of high. No, I was going to say high camp, but of course, not high camp. He was just he was so full of energy, Lionel Jeffries yeah. that he would have come across as a bit too crazy. So too he decided much. on, and and of course, there is that idea that. Um, you know, if you were a director and you give yourself a role in a film, then you're not very good at casting because how can you really direct <laughs> yourself? So it was yeah, a wise move. And of course, it's gone down in history as being one of the most beautiful and warm and touching performances in British film history. Yeah, So um,
0: definitely. I think that's entirely right. I, I was shook at that. I only recently learned that Lionel Jeffries, who was we all know is the uh, granddad in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Exactly. Um, directed this movie and I said it to the people in the room today as we were watching it I was like you did know this didn't you and everyone was like what so that's a really fun fact well, and yeah he he would have been lovely as Perks but Bernard Cribbins is better well you um,
1: mentioned about Lionel Jeffries having um, you probably know this fact as well but the fact that Lionel Jeffries directed he adapted it but it was on his way back from appearing in Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. His daughter, his 13-year-old daughter, Martha, he forgot all his books and he had nothing to read. And his 13-year-old daughter, Martha, said, Daddy, read this book by, by Nesbitt uh, called A Railway Children. he was like, I'm going to read a bloody children's book on the way back in the boat. And he read it and was so moved by it that he immediately decided to pay £300 of his own money for the film rights and then decided to go and adapt it into a screenplay. So it was all down to his thirteen-year-old daughter saying, "Daddy, you have to I love read this." That. Yeah. The
0: amount of times that happens, the amount of times children are orchest- like are so notable in the yeah. orchestration of getting adults to do things that end up being iconic or wonderful. Like I believe this is on the, like one of the top one hundred British films of all time, and it's the only Always, children's yeah. movie that's on there. Um, let's talk about the petticoat scene because this was always my favourite scene as a child. I loved it so much and I find it so emotional. And in one of the many sort of episodic moments that happen in the movie, they witness a sort of mini earthquake and some rubble and tree gets on the track. So they're like, well, gosh, we've got to warn the train and we've got to stop the train. How are we going to do that? And they're like, if only we had something red. And they do. Their petticoats are bright red. Who'd have thought? And they rip them off and they rip them into pieces and they tie them onto sticks. And it's genuinely... You think this movie is so, like, meandering and, like, lovely. But this scene is so tense. Oh, absolutely. And Bobby is slap bang in the middle of the tracks. And the other two are like, Bobby, get off the tracks. And she's like, not yet. Not yet not yet stop stop the train and of course to stop a steam train it takes like 12 different maneuvers and it's coming right towards her and they're like choo-chooing and the steam is everywhere and just as it nearly hits her she passes out on the tracks brilliant and I love it it's such high drama and I'm so here for it. it makes me really emotional and then I don't know if you've ever got to see the railway children on stage no
1: I'd love to but I haven't
0: No. Oh boy. So it came to King's Cross, which was a pop-up theatre at the time, and they were able to get a real live steam train to come onto the stage for certain moments. So of course they saved it for the end of Act 1 and the end of Act 2, for the two iconic moments. And they'd sort of... Um, everyone knew that a train was going to be in this production because that's sort of the, the highlight of this production. There was going to be a real train on stage. And up until this point, every time they needed to show the train, they would just have, like, noises and choo-chooing and, like, fog and stuff. And everyone was like, well, where's the train? And then, of course, the sort of boxes that were being the trees fall onto the track. They rip the petticoats off. And the whole theatre starts to rumble. And I, <laughs> honest to God, thought I was going to die that day because my heart stopped in my chest with how <laughs> magnificent... I'm literally crying. I'm, so, I'm literally crying at the memory of it. Uh. Like, this enormous fucking steam train came into the theatre as Bobby was on the track with her petticoat and there was steam everywhere and the seats were rumbling and the noise was just insane. It was so loud. It, like, clogged your brain. And then she, like, faints and the train is just there. And then, like, that's the end of Act 1. And I stopped breathing (laughs) for, like, the whole scene. And it was the best thing I have ever seen live in Amazing. my entire life.
1: <laughs> well, you've certainly created oh. an incredible picture there <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: with your enthusiasm.
0: <clears throat> Honestly, like, oh, it was. I just... mean,
1: well, I mean, you know, I can imagine experiencing that as a live event is incredible. Cause I mean, in, in the film alone, you know, mm-hmm. really gets you to that point of fever, like, Oh no, it, they can't squash Bobby. They can't. Yeah. But uh, yeah, actually, I don't know why that has reminded me of this, but I don't know whether you know that um, that Jenny Agatha had literally just returned from Australia after doing Nick Rogue's uh, Walkabout when she told that she had this film. So when she turned up, she was as brown as a berry. And they had <laughs> to keep, they spent the entire film, every time they did a take, the makeup artist rushing in, paling her down all the time because she was <laughs> her skin was so dark. Um, and yeah. that they had to do major job in it, so of course that added to the extra you know strain on Jenny Agutter performing <laughs> yeah. not not only under those circumstances and trying not to sweat while she was filming, yeah. but also the fact that of course she had um she'd originated it for uh, for television with the black and white version.
0: Mm-hmm. uh you
1: know, so it was a girl. she wasn't even sure she wanted to do it. She said, "Oh, I've done it already, but thankfully lionel jeffries convinced her to do it and of course forevermore she's extremely grateful that she decided to reprise it for the big screen but she was exhausted after coming back from australia and making that film you know
0: And then having to do this, throwing yourself in front of trains. I'm so grateful she agreed to take it because oh, she's yeah. so wonderful in the role. And it's, she really is. It's such a lovely role. Like I was watching this woman play her on the stage and I was like, that's what I want to do. Like, that's the kind of role I want. Like that, it would just be so lovely. But um, there's an innate
1: calm about ugh. Jenny Agutter as well. And everything yeah. she does, you really get the sense of a person living in, the, in that moment. When you see her perform, I mean, it's mm-hmm. just this kind of rare ability where where an where an actor is able to take a role and inhabit it so fully that you mm-hmm. you believe in it utterly. So when yeah. you see her, she is Bobby. When you see her um, in American Werewolf in London, she is that lovely nurse. You know, uh, you <laughs> see her in you know in in anything. She just becomes that person, and you don't think about her previous roles. If I watch the Railway Children, I don't start thinking about American Werewolf in London or the no, different war funny, films she's made it. she literally yeah. inhabits it, the character um it w- took w- me w- eight, I
0: watched Logan's run quite recently oh, yeah. and like yeah I was like oh Jenny Akita, who's that then and then I googled <laughs> her and I was like oh, it's, fucking Bobby. <laughs> it's Bobby like it's Bobby there you go it's <laughs> and Bobby. I had no idea and that's only like three years after Railway Children exactly. it's not like it's not like um, Call the Midwife, where she's now like a frail old lady playing a nun. I know. Which again, now you look at her and you're just instantly like, that. oh God, of course that's Jenny Agutter. But again, she's inhabiting the role so well. But of course, if like... you
1: see Jenny Agutter now, mm-hmm. there's nothing frail about her. You know, she's able oh, to no. play a frail old nun in Meet... Or- Is it okay? Meet the midwife. Call the (laughs) midwife. (laughs) Meet the midwife. Um, But if you see her, she's nothing like that. You know, she's still very strong and vivacious. Mm -hmm. You know, and full and full of energy. Um, So yeah, yeah, great cast, great casting all round. Though even down to Gary Warren, who didn't really go on to pursue a career. In fact, Mm. I think one of the guys who had been a volunteer. Uh, working on the railways at the time uh, when they made the film. He ended up writing a book about the making of it, and nobody could track down Gary Warren. Uh, they didn't know where he disappeared to, but of course, you know the way it's like, people think if you're not in movies anymore, you've disappeared off the face of the earth, but he just went yeah, back to a normal life.
0: Yeah, you know, exactly. he, he didn't pursue think it they that you failed and it's like no you haven't yeah. failed they just didn't want the <laughs> stress but like, a lot of chil- child actors star.
1: decide not to be actors when they get older they go no mm-hmm. it was I enjoyed it when I was a child now I want to do something completely different whereas it's or true people hit, think of them yeah. as having had a failed career and it, and, yeah
0: they think they've failed yeah. and like oftentimes, like you, you you listen to anything Mara Wilson says who was um, famously Matilda Yeah, and she's like I hit a certain age and I wasn't cute anymore and I felt awful it wasn't fun anymore nobody wanted to cast me they were a lot more judgmental I hadn't blossomed into the sort of Lindsay Lohan so nobody wanted me anymore and it was heartbreaking having been so successful to then not being wanted at all same as Macaulay Culkin I believe suffered the same fate where it's just like you're not cute anymore we don't want to cast you in anything and that must be you know if you're grappling with that sort of thing at the age of 11
1: yeah that's that's
0: I cannot imagine having to deal with that and coming out okay the other end of it. But all the public is, is, um, oh, look at the has-been. And it's like, they're not a has-been. They were like a person, and now they're still a person. They've just switched jobs. Like, leave them alone. But it's also like, if Jenny
1: Egerton had only ever made The Railway Children, you'd still go, what an incredible legacy. Yes. What what an incredible thing, one of many things she did in her life. But people, mm-hmm. it's true, I mean, I I always subscribe to the idea of what people think of me as none of my business because it's the only way to get on in life is to mm-hmm. not care what other people think or you wouldn't get out of bed in the morning, especially yeah, with me making films and stuff. You know, yeah. you're putting your movie out there and you're always going to get the haters who just want to write how much they hated your film.
0: But you can't,
1: yeah. you, you can't take it on because... The odds are, if they met you and they were having a cup of tea with you and hanging out, they'd be like, oh, "I'm so sorry for what I said about your film." And now that I yeah. think about it, I was yeah. having a really bad day, and it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought. People just like to be keyboard warriors. They like to sit there and yes. they like to say bad shit about people. Um, and it's also it's um,
0: More entertaining to shit on a film than it is to commend a film. Like there why? A whole,
1: yeah, I just don't um, get movement
0: that when I was at um mm-hmm. at university where the sort of film criticism that was popular was to hate a movie. It's where all of these YouTube mm-hmm. channels came out, like Cinema Sins and Nostalgia Critic. Yeah. And all of the criticism was just, here's why it sucks. Wow. And you're like, this is really boring. Mm-hmm. To just, yeah. like you know, after 10 years of that, I was like, I am obsessively going to not do that. I'm going to really celebrate film and just find... Because it also became incredibly snobby as well. I mm. felt like it's it's probably very easy to sort of, yeah. It's just very frustrating. Um,
1: yeah, and it's like, look, you, you, we're all gonna we're all gonna find things that we don't like. You don't have mm-hmm. to go public about it. You watch something you 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 don't want to continue. You turn it off. You find something mm-hmm. that you like. It doesn't have to be a big grandstanding. You know <laughs> exactly. Outpouring. You don't have to die on yeah. that hill. Yeah, exactly. and I also
0: believe that like. It's not fair ever to truly criticise a movie because if, you know, the amount of times that I've watched a film and I've been like, oh, that sucked. And then I've watched it again like a year later and I'm like, this is my favourite film of all time now.
1: Yeah. A a lot of it's about you, a lot of it's about the viewer (laughs) and and how they feel at the time. Woody Allen, a a classic quote of Woody Allen, when he had seen 2001 A Space Odyssey, he hated it the first time. Mm -hmm. Then he saw it about 10 years later and thought it was a work of genius and he couldn't understand why he'd had such a bad reaction the first time until he realised he was just going through a bad point in his life and he took it out on the movie. (laughs) <laughs> you know so yes. you know it's it's worthwhile you know revisiting things you know
0: yeah Oh, always yeah always um we have not mentioned the kindly old gentleman who is the first person to wave back to them on the train Absolutely. he sits on the end carriage and he will always wave at them and they ask him for help throughout the film and yeah um he's very lovely and there's big reveals and After this moment where they've stopped the train, And um, they are then therefore dubbed the Railway Children (laughs) in a wonderful scene that is so beautifully balanced with this comical running gag of the band that can't play the music properly. (laughs) Um, It's such a (laughs) genius little scene because we're like getting the gist of the fact that they're being commended and awarded for their bravery. But we're focusing um, in a very sort of Disney early Disney way on this comic bit instead. And it just works so well because it could have easily have been really boring, but instead it's lightened up by this little dash of this bandmaster who yeah. is getting so frustrated with his band. Um, and again, it's really memorable and it's really lovely. And it's, um all ties into this big scene where they become their namesake and the, the title people. But then this man gets on the train and there is the worst pouring of champagne that I've ever seen <laughs> In my life. And the train isn't even moving yet. So you don't even have that as an excuse. They crack open this bottle of champagne. It's instantly bubbly. And this man panics. I don't know. I get it. It's weird being in front of a camera and having to do normal human things. Your brain is suddenly like, can't compute. And he pours all the bubble and it's like overflowing. And then he grabs another. It's very (laughs) indelicate. I just really noticed it this time around and felt that it needed highlighting. And I just want to say (laughs) to that guy... I get it. Did you not get a better take? Did you really not get a better take than that one? Because See, it's just now,
1: now, Emily, the fact that Ooh. we went back to your days of of just hating movies for the sake of hating them, you kind of you're creeping in a bit again with that.
0: <laughs> wow, <Well, laughs> Ficking, no. <out> <laughs> Ficking out a scene,
1: picking out a scene of a bubbling one actor. champagne
0: was really struggling to pour this champagne Do you and know, was really, he, he was, was really probably
1: probably one of the people from Oakworth or Oxenhope or White Collar <laughs> or somebody nearby or Howarth who actually got his big break you know in doing this film <laughs> and maybe Lionel Jeffries had shouted at him 18 times beforehand <laughs> get it right
0: get it right
1: <laughs> God's sake, man. he's
0: trying his best but I was just like that's <laughs> way too many bubbles in that champagne glass There. oh and
1: another little note again you say things and for some reason they make me think of something else and this is completely disconnected other than that the doctor's house you know what that is don't you where the doctor's house is the howarth parsonage where the bronte sisters grew up
0: oh cool Mm. oh i love that i've been there so have i oh that's so cool
1: actually a very interesting moment about going there i was there in I think it was early October in 1999, and I was the only person in the Parsonage Museum looking around. And I got to this door and I was staring at this chaise for the for the longest amount of time. And the woman who was locking up, she came to me and I noticed her standing beside me. And I was looking at it and she said to me, do you feel drawn to that chaise long? And I said, I can't take my eyes off it. And she goes, that's the chaise long where Emily Bronte passed away. And I said, no you're way. joking. And she said, so many people get drawn to that and they stare oh and they stare and not know why. And she said, yeah, she passed away on that sofa in the early 30s. Yeah, so um, she died
0: tragically yeah
1: Well, they all did. I mean, all the, the sisters yeah. did. I mean, and of course it was down to the bad Victorian sanitation. They discovered that mm-hmm. because their house was uh, right on the cemetery, that bits of rotting corpses were in their drinking water.
0: <laughs> oh, sorry yeah, to bring do down
1: it. the tone and all <laughs> that. But, uh, that
0: will do it. <laughs> you'd be like, I'm
1: cutting that out of the, the, the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, so um, that was the, the Bronte parsonage um, yeah. used by so, the doctor. And that's
0: where the doctor lived. Yeah. This time round, watching the film, the doctor gave me really weird vibes. <laughs> he just seemed a little bit... I was just like, um, I don't know. I was just a bit like, don't get in his car, Bobby. You're too like, interested in Bobby. was a bit him? too sweet
1: to her, wasn't he? Yeah, it? a
0: bit too interested. And she was yeah. like, gosh, I've, I've never seen a man cry before. And he goes, have you not? I do it all the time. Yes, it's like, Shut the fuck I know. Up. Have Wait. you not? Would you like to see me cry, Bobby? <laughs> yeah. Would you like to come into my parsonage and see me cry? It's like see oh, 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 I know. Well, I,
1: who knows whether that was a creepy moment or whether yeah, it's just I the don't innocence. Know if- a British filmmaking yeah, in 1970.
0: Yeah, definitely. Because it, it was just a friendly man, you know. You yeah. know, I could totally, I, I was going to Google it and then I forgot. But yeah, if anyone else thought that that was weird, hit me up.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was. It really
0: stuck out to me this time. But then we had um, the wonderful
1: Dinah Sheridan playing the mother. Um, yes. Who uh, was amazing. And if my memory serves me correctly, another one of my favorite films of the time and forevermore is Swallows and Amazons, the, the Arthur <laughs> Ransom uh, yeah. book. And Dinah Sheridan, as far as I remember, played the mother in that, too.
0: Oh, lovely. She's yeah. making her way around all of the sort of all literary classics. classics. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. I was
0: never I never got into Swallows and in Amazons. So I don't know why.
1: Have you seen just, the film?
0: yeah i've seen the new one i've seen the old one yeah i I love the old one
1: i have to say i really love the old one yeah
0: i don't know what it was maybe i'll have to revisit it but um maybe it's it's another one of those things emily
1: that in 10 years time you'll watch and you'll (laughs) you'll weep and you'll you'll holler and you'll go i love this film
0: (laughs) and i wonder if as a child i was very specific like i loved i loved the little princess in the secret garden yeah and to pick between the two was always a little princess because I don't know, it was more dramatic it felt. It um
1: It's quite hardcore actually, isn't it? Yeah, especially
0: where you know where
1: she's come from and everything, you know, and her Yeah. It's it's hardcore. And in the nineties
0: one it's so dramatic when she's on the roof at the end. Ugh, yeah, love it. And of course the kid, the doll is called Emily, so she's always like, Remember Emily And I'm like
1: Oh yeah, it's it's great, and I I love I love the Secret Garden as well. I mean, it's yeah. I I have a beautifully illustrated version of that on my bookshelf. Actually, oh. it's really. It's a, a beautiful story. They're just story.
0: lovely. They're just yeah. really lovely classics that I think worked well being adapted in the 90s. And this one was obviously adapted in the 70s. Yeah. So it was perfect. Yeah. That I think, I mean, they have done, they've done a very recent Secret Garden, but I think they've set it in a different era. they set it in World War Two instead of like colonial India. Yeah. So um, they're feeling the need to sort of update it for modern audiences. And I feel like it's going to take away part of what made it good because there was something magical we were still close enough to that era in the 90s that they could do it not tongue-in-cheek they were happy to be like and this is set in victorian england la 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 whereas now people are like we can't for whatever reason, we don't want to do that anymore. And I imagine it would be the same in the two, in 2000, there was an adaptation of The Railway Children. That's right, yeah. And there's not really been one since except the one on stage, which is 100% Victorian. But you can get away with it on stage more than film. Yeah. And I feel if they were to do it again now, trouble with The Railway Children, you couldn't really move the timescale around because you need to have the steam train. And I know it was there for like 100 years or whatever. Yeah. But... I don't think modern audiences are as willing to put up with that sort of you know, um, someone walked in on it today and they were all like, Oh gosh, Bobby, do you really think we're going to have to do that? And they're like, Ha, what is this? And you're like, that's just shut up. It's just how people talked back then. Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. And like, yes, it may seem very dated now, but it's of its time and part of the story.
1: Look, the, prob- so- the thing is, look, uh, whether whether people can accept this or not, the 60s and the 70s in Britain were one of the greatest times for cinema. And one of the reasons was that they had to rely on really good storylines, you- mm-hmm. really good plots, because, the, you know, the advent of the summer blockbuster didn't appear until 1975 with, with mm-hmm. Spielberg when he created Jaws and then, of course, Star Wars and all these different yeah. films came after it, where they were all, you know you know, generated not, well, it wasn't computer generated imagery then because that didn't emerge and they were all practical effects, but it was really Mm. like, look at the spectacle. Whereas when the, when the filmmaking was really great, even like forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, particularly Mm. in Britain, it was like really well written stories, incredibly well cast films, very Mm -hmm. well made, but you have kids now who uh, won't even look at a film that's in black and white because they feel like Mm -hmm. they've been shortchanged. You know, like, why is there Mm -hmm. no colour in this film? I'm not watching a black and white movie. And you go sit down and watch it and engage with it and you'll realise what great storytelling was. And I know it Mm -hmm. sounds a bit like, when I was a boy, I walked to school barefoot. (laughs) And it isn't that. It's a fact that this cinema was brilliant. And no, now, really even the, the editing of films now—it's like it has yeah. to be every twelve frames that there's a cut made. It's like <laughs> it, it doesn't it to need be, to be the brain. The slow. mind doesn't work like that. Do you know they yeah. discovered that the reason why people, a lot of people thought blinking was to get keep you know, the eyes moisturized and dust out of your out of your eyes, but they discovered that the real reason people blink—it's your brain editing what it's looking at. That's <laughs> why you blink. Right. So it's so you don't blink that often if you think about it. You're not blinking every twelfth, you know, of a second. You're just not or every half a second. You're doing it when your brain needs a little bit of a break, and you're blinking, and you're like
0: blinking. Like a reset, yeah. Yeah, like a
1: reset, exactly. But uh, nowadays, everything is—it's like, oh no, no, you've got to have a three thousand shots here, you know, in order to mm-hmm. make your film work. Whereas you look at Lawrence of Arabia and that incredible opening sequence that goes on for over five minutes, and it's just the hazy image of a camel and 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 its rider coming in and peter o'toole and his servant standing there wondering who it is and mm. when david lean was interviewed about that scene uh, i think it was michael parkin said it was very brave of you to have a, an opening shot in a film that was five minutes long with no cuts and he goes i was a coward and he goes what do you mean you're a coward and he said it was three minutes longer than that and i cut three <laughs> minutes out of it And it's interesting because it's still quoted as being one of the most powerful openings of a film ever made, just the Mm -hmm. shot of a hazy camel in the distance. But for some reason, audiences now have been trained by filmmakers um, Mm -hmm. not to be able to put up with a single shot, but but to be constantly needing more.
0: Yeah, Yeah. And everything's sort of... um there's a there's a meme going around at the moment where it's sort of like uh, the the line from the original Star Wars where it's like, oh, you fought in the Clone Wars and the audience of 1977 or whenever it was going, huh? What? And people are yeah. like, no, because back then you didn't need an entire television series to explain one line of context. You just took it as it was as a line of Absolutely. exposition. Yeah. Um, Whereas now, of course, absolutely everything is getting a spin-off. Absolutely everything is delved into. And that's not necessarily a bad thing in some cases. But as you say, it's sort of because it's so money-driven, it's what we've become used to. So it's what we see more of. And you end up with Avatar 14. And instead of like another Railway Children or, you know, there's sort of less opportunity for things to happen by a happy accident and become beloved nowadays everything's more sort of concrete of like they will enjoy this and then they will enjoy that and then we will do this and then we will do that and it's more sort of premeditated and there's less you know i watched death becomes her recently and i was like right so fucking great you wouldn't get shit like this anymore because it feels so experimental and how original it is and just like You know, it doesn't entirely work, but it's so much fun and you're just like, I don't remember the last time I went to the cinema, well as a teenager really, was the last time I went to the cinema and just plucked a movie from the screen behind the person... Giving out the tickets and being yeah. like, let's go see Mrs. Henderson Presents. And then you're like, yeah. oh, that was lovely. And we knew nothing about it going in and we had a great time. And now it's like, we are specifically going to the cinema to see Avengers Endgame.
1: It's an event, like that, that. an event film. Yeah, yeah. the big tentpole film. But you mentioned something earlier on, actually, about the Railway Children, the fact that you were saying that it's a film set in the Edwardian period in England. It's a costume drama and it's so well made. That it doesn't really date as a film. Yeah, you watch it now and you don't feel oh this was made in nineteen seventy. It's a film no. set in a particular period which is gone from everybody's you know living memory, and um, mm-hmm. so it works. So I've I've often wondered why they even bother remaking it when the definitive version is already there. You yeah. know, they just need to keep presenting that. If people want to see yeah. it, don't redo it. It can't be made better. There's no way it, it can big be made better. fan
0: of that. I'm like, put old films back in the cinema. Yeah. Don't remake them. Don't, don't um, remake
1: them. Remake bad mess- films if you want. If there was a good idea, but it was badly executed and they feel they can do a better job, then that's fine. Yeah. But don't remake a classic.
0: There's, no, exactly. I mean, a, a, a good of example of that was,
1: was Suspiria. Which is a classic oh, Italian yeah. <laughs> giallo film, and then they remade it, and it was like the trailer was great. I thought, oh my god, this is actually going to be a very good remake. It's not. Mm. Sorry, <laughs> I don't. I don't like dissing anybody's work, but it mm. really felt like why would you? Why when would you're you
0: holding it up to yeah. something
1: so something um, so brilliant.
0: ingrained in the cinematic consciousness? You either have to do something completely new with it, yeah, or yeah i.e. don't
1: even remake it that's what I mean by what you're saying about completely new don't even revisit it it's an absolute stone cold classic Suspiria (laughs) whether you like her or not does it have subtitles? have you not seen Suspiria?
0: No, I've never seen Suspiria. It's been on my to-do list. Oh,
1: you've got to watch, watch it. I didn't
0: horror for years. No, so I, I understand that. I under-
1: Look, it is a very disturbing, violent film, but it's a work mm. of art. It's so beautifully made. The soundscape is incredible. The score is incredible. The, 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 the visualisation of it, the cinematography, the direction, the performances. Mm-hmm. It's not subtitled, no. It's actually the version you'll find is dubbed and it started. Oh. It started a few American actors actually, um, and uh, it's just so beautiful. It's such a beautiful film. I, I'd watch yeah. it when you're in a lighter mood. I wouldn't watch it if you were <laughs> depressed. I definitely yeah. wouldn't watch it then. But no, um, I watched um, yeah. um,
0: Climax on Netflix, which would have obviously been heavily inspired, I imagine, by Suspiria. You and... know, I
1: haven't seen that. I haven't. I Haven't even, haven't even heard good. of it. Is that oh, recently very, very Recently out?
0: Yeah, very recent, like last year okay. it came out and I watched it. It's on Netflix and it's inspired by those sort of dark dance movies. It's very, oh, okay. very good. I do thoroughly recommend it.
1: Right, okay.
0: Um, shall we talk about the bit of the rails? Yes, project?
1: let's do that.
0: So we t- run down breath. to the tracks <laughs> and... This is the thing. This is where I start crying. The train goes past. You, you... I was like, oh, this film is much longer than I remember. And then the next thing I knew, they were down by the tracks and everyone in the train is leaning out of the window waving a handkerchief at them and just that shot takes your breath away again and right at the end in the carriage the old man is waving his newspaper and pointing and it's just bobby by herself and you're not really sure what's going on and you're like why is this is really lovely but why is everyone waving you've got no idea and that's it's such a moving image of everyone waving back at them after the whole movie of them waving and no one waving back and then suddenly everyone's prepared and that's what it is it's the energy that everyone is so pumped for bobby and you don't know why and You've will get. you guessed, obviously, because you've been watching the movie and you're fully aware of what's happening. But you then get down to the station and Perks is pumped and he kisses her and he's like, I hope I'm not taking any liberties, but on a day like today, how can I not? And she's like, what the actual is happening? Like, why is, (laughs) what's going, she's so confused and you're kind of confused, but you've, I, I get caught up in this energy and all the people are looking out the train window and they're like looking at her and like, there's this just like, tension that's just in every shot without anyone even trying and you're caught up in that tension so you're sort of frozen in that which is why I think it then hits so emotionally as Perks does like a final glance back at her and moves back into the station and like smiles to himself and there's so much smoke on the platform and then the music changes as the train moves off and oh
1: you're gonna cry again, aren't you? <laughs> I'm <just> gonna <laughs>
0: cry. The smoke starts to ebb, and through it, you see this figure coming through, and then you have that shot, like in Jaws, when he like sees the shark, and it does the zoomy zoom thing. It like it feels like that, where your heart drops, and but your heart lifts here, and she turns around in like slow motion, and she screams, "Daddy, my!" daddy as he's standing on the edge of the platform and like you've had this 20 minute intro with him at the beginning of the movie about how what a wonderful person he is and all of that comes flooding back as you see him and he doesn't say a word for the rest of the movie and he doesn't need to because she like slow-mo runs and it should be so cringy but it's not it's so moving.
1: every time i see it i cry Every I can single watch it, time, out of I context, see it. yeah,
0: you can. I can, I've turned the television on before now, and seen that last that like two minute section and burst into tears. Like you just have to. I just have to think of the image of the people in the carriage waving their handkerchiefs <laughs> and popping, and I'm gone. <laughs> like it's just. It's incredible. I don't know it's how amazing. they do it. I don't know how it, Lionel Jeffries. Jenny Attica, I don't know how they did it. They manage to build up, like how they tell you the Wicker Man is the greatest ending of all time, cinema because it is because they never let, they never release you, they never let you go, they never yeah. give you that jump scare ending.
1: Yeah, it
0: just ends and you're like, oh, <laughs> I'm still very tense and upset now.
1: Yeah, it, absolutely. It's sort of that
0: they've been ringing you and ringing you throughout this movie, and you're so, it's just so cathartic somehow, and it's just. It's just so, even if you've literally, I promise you, if you've no idea about anything and you switch this on to those two minutes of cinema, the way they craft this scene is just so perfect and emotional and she flings herself into his arms and without fail, no matter what mood I'm in, I will cry. At oh this yeah, scene. <laughs> I do.
1: Like I said, I'm a grown man. It gets me every time. All she has to do is enter the station, and I'm like already yeah. going. I'm not gonna cry yeah. this time. I'm not gonna. <laughs> I'm not gonna. And of course, Ian Cuthbertson couldn't cut a bigger figure. I mean, he was six foot five. Mm-hmm. The actor playing her father, a big Scotsman, you know. So even just seeing him looming there, you couldn't really mistake him for yeah. anybody else. You know, oh my God, it's her father. You know, he's back. Mm-hmm. Incredible, incredible moment. Yeah. It's,
0: it's so good, considering it's been such an almost side plot that the dad's been gone this whole time yeah. and other things have been happening over the top of it. It's so, it's so emotional, and I think that's it. It's the energy that everyone is so happy for them, and you're just like, this is the definition of heartwarming and she walks really him back is. up to the house and poor phyllis and peter
1: <laughs> what's like, going on
0: they're like what and she's like no no he needs to be with mama for the mama. time being we'll go walk down to the dandelions and then return and it's like bobby let them see their dad like, come on.
1: <laughs> she's had the great moment and it's like sorry kids i've had the moment and set off and pick flowers. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I can hear you're flooded in tears lovely. again. I can hear it in your yeah. voice, Emily.
0: <laughs> Honestly, like it's. I mean, fuck. Like I once, uh, for we. I did drama, so I did a lot of weird things at university and at drama school. <laughs> and and one of the things we were doing was we were doing a. Um, a, a piece about endings and so one workshop we just brought everyone brought in a bunch of books threw them on the floor and we all just like picked them up and started reading the endings of the book to see how they made us feel yeah and i picked up the railway children and i read the last like three pages of the railway children and even just reading and as the smoke cleared a man could be seen at the end of the platform daddy my daddy shouted bobby as she ran i was in floods of tears just just skipping the entire book having not seen the film in ages just pick this book up turn to the last three pages floods of tears like there's just something about it that hits me and i'm sure everyone in the entire world ever like it's just
1: very powerful more I so mean,
0: than the secret garden more so than the little princess like yeah, this one yeah. gets me every time
1: every time i mean even people listening to this uh to this program you know if if, if, even if ten of the people listen go out and experience it they would never seen it mm. before you've kind of done your you know you've done your thing you know you've achieved mm-hmm. what you want to do even by this episode get 10 more yeah. people to experience this it'll enrich the world and it really, really it's, will. It's, it's, it is amazing and you remember the very end the rolling credits where they broke the fourth wall which is I very was interesting talk about that it's yeah
0: very now that is as a The older I've gotten, the more, the more sort of you do compare it to modern cinema, as Mm. we were literally saying. This is the one bit that I'm like, I I'm a little bit embarrassed with like people that have never seen it before watching this bit because we've just had such an emotional high yeah. and a fantastic climax to a beautiful heartwarming movie. And then we're sort of zooming in on the train and it's the awkwardness of of Jenny Agutter taking like four minutes to write like three words, which like she's clearly <laughs> just like milking it on the slate so she doesn't look up <laughs> until the camera hits her. Everyone's sort of on the train tracks going, bye-bye, bye-bye, bye, bye-bye. Yeah love bye you bye all. Bye, bye, love you all. bye and um and we're getting closer and closer to the like the main cast that are all holding drinks and, and jenny Genia is writing the end on a piece of slate that she then holds up and she's like bye bye and you're bye just bye. like oh was this like a 1950s watch with mother like story that well, needed course, this like <laughs> Yeah but of course
1: what 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 you were doing were, I mean they were literally showing you part of the rap party at the end of the film and they felt good. But an interesting thing about it is that at the very beginning you'll hear a voice shouting, Thank you, Mr. Forbes. And the reason, of course, that was because the great British director, Brian Forbes, had been given the job of running EMI at the time and he had greenlit that film. And he greenlit a string of successful films for that year and that was the most successful of them. So they wanted to do a big thank you to the, to the, the boss at EMI who'd actually said, yes, go and make this film. So, uh, so that was one of the main reasons why they did that ending. It was a personal thank you. To Brian Aww. Forbes for letting them make it, you know, so it's, it's oh, interesting. that's
0: lovely. Now I know that. That's, yeah. like, it's much sweeter because before I was just like, why? This is so cringe. Like, I've not really seen <laughs> any other movie do this before. Like, it's so bizarre. And, of course, because the, the, like I love Jenny Agatha's voice. She's so, always Amazing. so breathless.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're all just like bye-bye, bye 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 bye, and you're like, this
1: is really
0: <laughs> awkward. It's like watching people wave off a ship, where they like take their hat off, but they're there for so long because it takes the ship so long to move out. But they keep <laughs> doing, They're like, ta da, bye bye, God bless, off you go, and you're like. You're going to run out of phrases in a minute. It's okay. Just stop and go home. And, like, an, no one's and, and the people know. on the
1: boat on the deck are freezing and they're like, should we still <laughs> yeah. be waving or can we go in now? Can yeah, we go can in? we go
0: in now, please? Is <laughs> that. It's like, it's very funny. Um, but yeah, and, and, and as you said, breaking the fourth wall as well, which was yeah. really interesting. Um, which
1: was definitely unusual.
0: Such a good movie. Yeah. Like... It's... I don't know if we've stressed that enough. I think we have. I think
1: we've probably overstressed it for some people. they will be like, "Okay, we got you on oh, the opening monologue. <laughs> yes, it's great. We're gonna not even gonna listen to it. We're just gonna go and watch it. Okay."
0: <laughs> I hope so. It's, it's on Amazon Prime if you've got Prime, so it's it's easy it's easily findable. And if you want to watch the other adaptations, the two thousands version is entirely on YouTube. For free, and um, it's been and restored
1: t- beautifully on Blu-ray um, and oh. on DVD for those who haven't upgraded to Blu-ray. Um, it's nice. uh, beautifully uh, been, you know, lovingly retouched and and looks incredible with lots of new extras and uh, interviews with. Um, I think Sally Thompson's on there. Certainly, Jenny Agater is there. Um, oh, nice. So yeah, yeah, so well worth checking it out. I have it on mm-hmm. DVD and videotape, actually. I've got a videotape. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, VHS, VHS. I know. VHS, exactly. <laughs> but uh, yeah, great film. Really is. I'm I'm probably going yeah. to have. I haven't watched it with my daughter yet because my daughter's four. Uh, um, oh,
0: yeah. No. Got to wait until. Got to
1: wait. She's little a little bit, bit older. Maybe six or seven. Yeah, like maybe like school so. age. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So she can really appreciate it. But I think she will mm-hmm. because she loves trains. She loves boats. Oh, she loves, you perfect. know, all of this stuff. So. Um, In fact, I was only reading her, The Little Captain, today before my wife and her went out. Lovely little (laughs) story.
0: (laughs) It really does make you fall in love with trains. Like, trains is that funny thing, isn't it? Much like cars, that some people have a real affinity for them and then other people are like, gosh, how boring. And every time I watch The Railway Children, I'm like, oh, yeah, like steam trains are badass. Like, there's a reason J.K. Rowling was like... I might put a steam train to Hogwarts because yeah. it's cool. It's like romantic. I love it's trains. Like
1: I absolutely fun. love them. Do you know, when I come over from Dolly, if I'm going over to the UK and no matter where I have to go, it could be Cornwall, instead of flying, I get the boat and the train all the way from oh. Hollyhead down to Cornwall because I just yeah. love being on trains. I love yeah. trains. Um, I do so. love a train. I don't care how long I'm on them. You know, it's kind of like, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm on a journey. We're progressing. Yeah, exactly. We'll be there eventually. Especially so, if you've uh, got
0: a window seat.
1: Although i got to admit, I have brought, I mean, I brought, I was directing a documentary um, in Lincolnshire and my wife came with me and we brought our daughter. Now, our daughter was only eight weeks at the time and that yeah. wasn't a good idea, bringing an 8 year eight week old daughter on a train across England that hmm. was that wasn't yeah. fun so I find I, I find I'm better off on trains on my own and that yeah. way I can just you've no responsibility to anyone else you can just go however long this takes is fine with me
0: yeah <laughs> amazing Well, thank you so much for coming on. And thank you so much for picking The Railway Children. Do you have anything that you'd like to plug? Anything that's coming out soon?
1: Well, we just have our new feature film, uh, Winifred Meeks, that John West and I made in Suffolk. um, Which, uh, yeah, a completely Suffolk-made film um uh made in dunwich and uh, that's coming out in america on dvd on april 21st and in the uk at september 21st so yeah that's exciting
0: very exciting yes perfect thank you so much again this has been an absolute joy
1: it's been a pleasure emily thank you
0: and we'll see you next time on why this film bye If you're a fan of Why This Film and would like to support the show, head to iTunes and leave a five star review. Why This Film also has a Patreon from £3 a month where you have access to early episodes, bonus material, and much more. You can find that at patreon.com forward slash Why This Film Podcast. Why This Film is on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and you can email into us at any time at whythisfilmpodcast at gmail.com.